Father in heaven, just one more time, we invite your Holy Spirit to be here. And I just pray that uh, you can speak through the few uh, thoughts um, that I share here tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to speak through my lips, but to impress each of our hearts with what you'd have us to learn. Open our ears to your word, and uh, may Jesus be lifted up, I pray in his name. Amen. So we are blessed. What comes to your mind just from that statement? A lot of things could go through your mind. We're blessed to live in America, where we still have freedom. We are blessed um, to be wealthy. Maybe that's not coming to your mind. We are blessed to be physicians and dentists and healthcare workers and be entrusted with the sacred calling that Jesus has given to us. But I want you to think about this. We don't probably think of ourselves as wealthy. Um, More than half of the undeveloped world lives on $2 or less a day. Half of the world. So I don't care if you are from a self-supporting institution or you're in private practice, you work for a government VA hospital, or you're retired, you are wealthy by the world standard. And we are blessed. The United States, the per capita income is around $60,000 a year. Physicians and dentists are around two hundred fifty dollars to $350,000 a year. Wealthy. That puts you in the top 1% of incomes. And so, why? Why are we blessed? Why are we wealthy? Why did we wind up here in the United States? It's not just because we work hard. It's not also an accident, but it was a privilege. You and I were born privileged to be in this country, to be able to immigrate to this country, or to be able to grow up in this country. We're blessed to be able to pursue careers. And many of us are not here just because we worked hard, but because people sacrificed for us to get here. Our parents, our families, teachers, even our patients, let us learn on them when we knew nothing. We are, it's pretty incredible to think about it. Why does God bless us? What is, why does he give us this privilege? In the ancient Old Testament times, God's purpose in blessing Israel was so that they could be a blessing to the world around them. God always gives us privileges and blessings so that we can be a blessing to others. And so he blesses us so that we can bless others. Israel was supposed to be a missionary people, a light that drew everybody from around the world like the Queen of Sheba came to see Solomon. And sadly, that rarely happened. But with great privilege comes great responsibility. As Todd already mentioned, many of our friends were, so Lindy and I have no children of our own, but we have a lot of children that our friends have shared with us. We don't have to pay their college tuition. (laughs) They can come have root beer floats on Saturday nights. My wife says it's fine, they're vegan. I tell her, just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. (laughs) But they're really good. 
And so, and we, we, really, we really appreciate having young people in our home. It's an incredible blessing and a privilege that we've enjoyed. And those of you who are parents that have allowed us to, to call your kids our kids, it's been an amazing privilege. One of them is a guy named Justin. He was uh, clocked at going almost 140 miles an hour um, just about three months after he got his driver's license. And his dad actually called me and said, I don't know what to do. I think he thought since I speed a little bit, I could relate to him. I don't know. But I've never gone that fast. He said, could you talk to Justin? And could you talk to him like he's your son? So I set up a meeting and I met with Justin. And I talked to him like he was my son. I said, Justin, if you were my son, this is what I would tell you. With great privilege comes great responsibility. He started laughing. I said, no, this is a very serious matter. Cars are very dangerous. You've just got your driver's license. I said, I speed. I get that. But going 140 miles an hour, there's no reason for that. You've suddenly gotten this privilege and you just can't control yourself and you are out of control. No, I'm not going to help you figure out how to get out of the speeding ticket. You're going to have to go to court. You're going to have to face the judge. I would take a lawyer with you because you could lose your driving privileges for a long, long time. But you brought this on yourself because you were out of control and unrestrained. And so he got through it and I don't, think to this day he's driven that fast again. But God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on a last day church. He wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on wealthy physicians who think that we got here ourselves and that some reason we deserve the standing that we have. Are we safe to pour out that kind of power. Can God trust us with unlimited power? Way more than being able to go 140 miles an hour just because you've got the horsepower to do it. So being wealthy, being in a position of respect, puts us at risk of being proud. It puts us at risk of thinking that we deserve this. And deserve is a word we should never, ever use. It's actually very unempowering. We don't deserve anything except death. And it's only by the grace of God that we weren't born on the other side of the tracks, that we weren't born to a crack mother and we had no possibility of going to medical school, or that we were born over in India and we had no hope of ever having an education. It's a tremendous privilege that we've been blessed with. And we are living, I don't think this takes even two moments to convince you that we are living on the very brink of eternity. Our world is coming apart everywhere. In our board meeting, we talked about the fires in California. Climate change is real. It's coming on us. We're seeing things happening around the world that the devil has unleashed because of the recklessness in the way that we've treated the world. And fires are one little taste of it. Hurricanes are another taste of it. Tsunamis. All these terrible things. God doesn't cause these, but he uses them to get our attention. 
And it's to show us that all these things, our homes in Malibu that have fires coming up to surround them, all these things are not here for long. None of these have real lifelong meaning. And so what is the remedy? What is the remedy for pride? What is the remedy for selfishness? That's what we're here for this weekend. It's got to be the mind of Christ. It's got to be getting involved in unselfish service. And that's what we are called to with the great privilege that we've been given. It's a total commitment. And tonight I want to look at a little bit about what that looks like. A quote that I just find amazing As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. So the real question tonight is, can you be trusted with omnipotent power? How have you used your resources so far? For God's service or for our own? I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I need to be reminded of this. Are we safe? Would we give glory to God or would we give glory to ourselves? That's the question. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we'll look here just for a few moments. And I hope you brought your Bibles. So Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to just start in verse 1. I see many of you using your devices. I know Pastor Finley brought his Bible. He showed me earlier. You didn't want to be disappointed. So therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. And then Paul shifts gears. He says, let This mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Don't miss the point. He doesn't say work hard at getting the mind of Christ. He doesn't say try hard to get the mind of Christ. What's the word here? Let this mind be in you. He's painting a picture of cooperation. We can resist it. We can fight it. But if we cooperate, God is going to do something to put the very mind of Christ as the motivating power in our lives. What does this lead to? What kind of picture does it go to? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. 
And we see in this passage the example of Jesus Christ, the creator of the whole physical universe, having all the power of the Godhead, coming down and joining himself to the human race. Now, it would have been a really big step to come down and be an angel. It's an even bigger step to come down and be a man. He didn't come down like Caesar. He didn't come down like the high priest. But it says that he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ entered into the human race after heredity had its effects for 4,000 years. He looked like the people around him. He entered into their experiences and he became one with us. But he had no place to call his home. He had no wealth. He came in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. How do you humble yourself even more than that? And he became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Is there a difference between dying and experiencing the death of the cross? There's a big difference. And only Seventh-day Adventists can truly understand what Jesus went through on the cross. Because this wasn't a vacation for three days up in heaven. This was, in the Jewish mind, bearing the very curse of God for sin. Because Moses had written that he that hangs on a tree is cursed of God. Galatians 3 says the same thing. And when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was feeling the sensation that the sinner will feel when he is cut off from God forever. That's the death of the cross. Essentially experiencing hell itself. Existence apart from God. The death that Jesus died was the feeling of God forsakenness. Desire of Ages, page 753, says that Jesus could not see through the portals of the tomb. He did not have the hope that he was going to come through this victorious. And so it tells us something about Jesus. Now, Jesus, by his experience, could not feel that he was coming through this. His faith never failed. But crucifixion is a terribly painful experience. Back in those days, it could take four or five days to die. Stretched up naked on a cross where it was super hot during the day and very cold at night like the Middle East is. But Jesus hardly felt the physical pain. It was the sense of the separation 
It was the sense of tasting the curse of God. When we even begin to glimpse what Jesus experienced on the cross, the height, the depth, the width, the length, and the depth of the love of God, it's going to do something to us. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The cross has a drawing power that if we allow it and we don't resist it, it's going to draw us all the way to follow him. Total commitment. Unreserved commitment. Out of a heart of love, not out of a heart of obligation. The cross changes us. And so it is true, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so let's look at Ellen White from 1888 Materials, page 806. There is one great central truth to be kept ever before the mind in the searching of the scriptures. And that is Christ in him crucified. Every other truth is invested with influence and power corresponding to its relation to this theme. It is only in the light of the cross that we can discern the exalted character of the law of God. The soul, palsied by sin, can be endowed with life only through the work wrought out upon the cross by the author of our salvation. The love of Christ constrains man to unite with him in his labors and his sacrifice. How many of you thought you were going to be coming to an amen conference where they talk about praying with patience and doing some witnessing? It's far more than that. Jesus is calling us, physicians and dentists and healthcare workers in these very last days, to be united fully with Him. That could be all the way to a cross, it could be all the way to death. It could be a martyr's death. But the love of Christ constrains man to unite with him in his labors and sacrifice. The revelation of divine love awakens in them a sense of their neglected obligation to be light bearers to the world and inspires them with a missionary spirit. This truth enlightens the mind and sanctifies the soul. It will banish unbelief. It will inspire faith. It is the one great truth to be constantly kept before the minds of men. What is the one truth? Christ in him crucified. Supreme love for God and unselfish love for one another. This is the best gift that our heavenly father can bestow. This love is not an impulse, but a principle, a divine principle, a permanent power. The unconsecrated heart cannot originate or produce it. Only in the heart where Jesus reigns is it found. We love him because he first loved us. In the heart renewed by divine grace, love is the ruling principle of of action. It modifies the character, governs the impulses, controls the passion, and ennobles the affections. This love, cherished in the soul, sweetens the life and sheds a refining influence on all around. Jesus asked us to have love for one another, a unity of purpose. That's what's going to draw the world to him, 
when it's reproduced in his people. Speaking of John 7, 46, says that no man ever spoke like this man. If we have the mind of Christ, will this be true of us? Will your yes be yes? Will people take you at your word? Will they listen to what you're saying and be impressed and inspired? Commenting on this passage, Ellen White makes this thought-provoking comment. But the reason for this was that never man lived as he lived. Had his life been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. His words bore with them a convincing power because they came from a heart pure and holy, full of love and sympathy, benevolence and truth. How many of you, after you've seen the 34th patient in your office and you're an hour behind, look at your next patient with love and sympathy, benevolence and truth? Anybody? We need the mind of Christ. We also might need to be simplifying our practice. This has an impact on what we do so that we can keep this attitude, that we can keep this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the quote we all know and love, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. And then he bade them, follow me. If we want to be effective medical evangelists, we have to engage with our patients. More than just on a professional level. By praying with a patient and starting a spiritual conversation, that's a really good start. But you got to get to know who they are. Get to know them as a person. Understand their values and win their trust. Medical missionary work is the pioneer work of the gospel. The door through which the truth for this time is to find an entrance to how many homes? Many. God's people are to be genuine medical missionaries, for they are to learn to minister to the needs of both soul and body. Did you learn that in medical school? In dental school? You might have saw it modeled here and there, but it wasn't the focus of my curriculum. And yet, to be an effective medical missionary, to have the mind of Christ, to be like Jesus, he spent more time, by the way, healing patients, healing people than he did preaching. Because it opened the door to their heart. But all of us are called to be able to heal both the soul and body, to reach the soul in the body. And we can't give what we don't have. Let us not love in word, the apostle writes, but in deed and in truth. The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and to bless others springs constantly from within. It is the atmosphere of this love surrounding the soul of the believer that makes him a savor of life unto life. It enables God to bless his work. 
constantly motivated by an impulse concerning others. And the medical missionary work should be a part of the work of how many physicians and dentist office? No, this isn't for our offices. It is, but it goes beyond that. Disconnected from the church, it would soon become a strange medley of disorganized atoms. Have we seen that? Yeah. It would consume, but not produce. Instead of acting as God's helping hand to forward his truth, it would stop the life and force from the church and weaken the message. It would sap the life. Conducted independently. How many of you have practices connected to the local church? There are a couple of AMM members that do. But definitely not the norm. Conducted independently, it would not only consume talent and means and needed in other lines, but in the very work of helping the helpless apart from the ministry of the word, it would place men where they would scoff at Bible truth. And I fear that we have done this far too much. I have become convicted in my practice that when I tell a patient, you know, you really should stop smoking. You know, you really should give up your meat. I am just asking them to become legalists. There is no power in that. But if I can connect them with the power, the truth, and the life, they can be released from their habits. They can be released from their addictions and they find a power. And they're not just getting advice. They're not becoming cynical. They're not giving up hopeless. They're being pointed to the only source of power. And so in the prayer seminar tomorrow, I will tell you that if you are not offering a spiritual component to your patients, you are committing spiritual malpractice. It has to be connected to the truth. And the more effectively we tie it to our church, the more effective it will be. Ellen White's vision was that every church could be an outpost center for biblical truth but also for the life-saving power of our health message. And that every home could be a sanitarium. This isn't just for medical professionals. This is for every church member. That means that those of us who know something about it need to be teaching our church members so that they can be medical evangelists. Lest you become discouraged and think this is something we've got to just dig in our heels and try harder to do. Philippians 1 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Christ in me, Christ in you. Jesus Christ so completely identified with the human race that he linked himself with us forever by ties that will never be broken. The cross shows us that Jesus loves us more than he loves himself. That is agape, the self-sacrificing love, a love that never fails, an unfailing faith, which is the very faith of Jesus that he promises to give us. Jesus has identified with us so that we can identify with him. 
so that we can be joined together. So where does this lead? What is God's purpose? It's always so that we can bless others. It's so that he will have a people in the very last days that proclaim his character so that the heathen can be converted, the world can be warned. And what does that look like? As physicians, let's turn back over to John chapter 15. And I've already noted that we can't give what we don't have. And so Jesus speaking here, John chapter 15, let's just go to verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. How do we abide in Jesus? We can believe his word. But we need to spend time with him. So we need to be in his word. First, ourselves, to be nourished, to be connected before we can impart it to our patients. So Ellen White counsels that we should have a thoughtful hour, especially on the closing scenes that we have talked about. Jesus says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Remember the quote? A soul that is linked to his power has omnipotent power. Jesus is saying that. Whatever you desire, it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so, God, so, so that you will be my disciple. And as the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. You see here, just like the very opening chapter of the Desire of Ages, the circle of beneficence, this love that's always giving to others. God the Father loved his Son so that his Son could love us, so that we can love everyone, his creatures, that they can give glory back to God. This cycle of life is a cycle of love, unselfishness. In verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatever I have commanded you. If we want to be able to impart this abiding presence, we have to be abiding in it every day, growing and connected to the vine so that there is fruit in our lives. This isn't something that we produce on our own. This is something that flows freely if we connect to the vine.
Christ Object Lessons, page 69. When the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest has come. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people. Then he will come to claim them as his own. I know that for many of us, this is way outside our comfort zone. It is for me. We are being asked to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who left his home, gave up his wealth, joined himself to this helpless human race to die. That's our calling. But Jesus never calls us to do something when he doesn't give us something much better in return. And so we must learn to listen. Listen to the still, small voice. All of us have heard it. Many times I've had this impression, oh, stop, say something to this patient. And when I've listened, it's been the exact right thing to say. Sometimes I haven't listened. Just a couple months ago, a a friend of mine who was an ER doctor when I was a resident, but uh, we talked a few times a year. He was a pilot. He did my flight physicals for my pilot's pilot's license, and somebody I just kept up with over the last 15 years, um, had a little bit of a a friendship. He developed lymphoma. He'd been uh, quite sick, and uh, I had called him back in uh, August to Say, hey, Dick, uh, can I schedule my flight physical with you? And he said, uh, you know, I'm going to be out for a month. I'm going up to Ohio State to get chemotherapy. And it usually takes me a couple weeks afterwards to recover. So I won't be over at the hangar doing flight physicals. Um, But you could call this other guy and he might might be able to help you do it. And a couple weeks later, I had this impression, you know, you ought to just call Dick. Just came. Um, Wasn't long. It was fleeting. And I just kind of put it off. I was like, well, you know, he said he's going to be out for a month. Um, I know he's not back yet. Um, well, I'll wait and call him. I don't need my flight physical right away. Um, so after about a month went by, I texted Dick. Hey, Dick, how's it going? Uh, anytime, any chance you're feeling better and can set up the physical? Didn't hear anything back. A couple weeks later, I texted him one more time. Didn't hear back. Two weeks ago, I finally called the other guy that he'd recommended, and I said, I texted Dick, but I haven't heard anything. He said, oh, well, he died in the middle of August. Wasn't expected. Hit me pretty hard. I don't know what I would have said to him, but I had this impression to call, and I missed it. And that door is closed for eternity. We need to listen to these still, small voices. On the other hand, I'm pretty proud of my wife. I was in San Francisco just a few weeks ago at a conference. And so, I don't know, probably a Thursday morning, she pulled into the doctor's parking lot at work at the hospital. And just as she was getting ready to pull in the gate, there was a pretty ragged-looking guy who was about 30 years old, um, tight 
cut hair. He's about 6'4", but wearing shorts, a dirty, smudged-up um, tank top shirt. <clears throat> and he just kind of was roaming back and forth in front of the doctor's parking lot. And she took a look at him and tried to avoid him and went on by. But as she was getting ready to get out of her car, all of a sudden he was standing right by the driver's side of the car. Six foot four guy, big, big white guy who looked really rough, tattoos all around his neck, all around his arms, really rough looking guy. To make it worse, he used to have a nose ring. Used to because somebody ripped it out. And he is missing the whole side of his nose so that you can look straight into his nasal passage. Got the picture? This guy's really rough. My wife's short, sweet. This is completely against her nature. And she sat there for a moment. Other doctors were looking over at her. So she wasn't completely alone in the parking lot, but it's after taking a big breath, she finally did get out of the car and she said, can I help you? And she could just see this look of desperation. Apparently, he'd just gotten discharged straight out of the emergency room, and he just told her, you know, I've, I've got to get to this hotel that's a couple miles away. They said they can get me a place there for $35 a night, but I don't have any money. I don't have any family. Um, sister's in another state, and a niece is in Texas, and he's helpless. And uh, Lindy at first said, well, I really can't help you. You need to go into the emergency room. They have a social worker there. They can help you. And she went on into her office, but then she heard that still small voice. And this has to be a miracle because my wife would not go back out there near this guy. She'd be locking the car doors and putting up barriers. But she was smart. She mentioned it to one of her coworkers and said, you know, I feel impressed that I need to help this guy. And uh, took another lady with her. <laughs> went down, and he was down there outside the, wait, outside the waiting room of the emergency room. And she said, come with us, we're going to help you. And she put him in the front seat of her um, <laughs> Range Rover. <laughs> Very nice car. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't smell good. It's not somebody you'd want in your car particularly if you're two women, and they drove to the worst hotel she's ever been in, that Lindy's ever been to. Now, I told her I've stayed at a lot of hotels like this when I was in medical school, driving back and forth across the country. But she doesn't believe me. Pretty, pretty bad place, $35 a night. Lindy went up to the counter. It was all glass, a little tiny window to pass money through. The guy said to her, can I help you? And she says, yeah, I want to pay for two weeks. And... Uh, Paid for two weeks for this guy's room, and uh, we came back a little later and brought him some clothes, came back and brought him some groceries, and uh, she was ultimately able to get some people involved and track down a, a niece who lives in Texas and try to get some contact with some family. But it was interesting to hear the discussion around her office that day. There were some people who thought, wow, this is pretty amazing that she would reach out to somebody like that. But there were others who were like, this is ridiculous. You shouldn't be helping him. He doesn't deserve it. He brought this on himself. After all, he had been a drug addict. He says he's clean now. I don't know. He's probably mentally ill. <clears throat> but they were incensed 
and would by no means pitch in to help. But God is going to have a people who listen to those small voices. And it's going to be way outside of our comfort zone. Scary outside of our comfort zone as this guy was. I'm still amazed to this day that she did that. I went and met the guy with her when I got back. It's going to shake us up. But it is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened, and Christ would come together the precious grain. Do you see the significance here? We actually can hasten the coming of Jesus. If we can hasten it, we can also delay it. And we've been here far too long as a people. But I am impressed more than ever before that the things that are happening in our world, the financial chaos that is just about to break on us, the uncertainty in our world where people's hearts are truly failing them with fear, the natural disasters, all this points to the fact that we are way on borrowed time. The work of transformation from unholiness to holiness is a continuous one. Day by day, God labors for man's sanctification, and man is to cooperate with him, putting forth persevering efforts in the cultivation of right habits. He is to add grace to grace, and and as he thus works on the plan of addition, God works for him on the plan of Multiplication. multiplication. We do a tiny little bit of work and we think we've done all this. But God just multiplies our efforts. It's so amazing. Our Savior is always ready to hear and to answer the prayer of the contrite heart. And grace and peace are multiplied to his faithful ones. Gladly he grants them the blessings they need in their struggle against the evils that beset them. So I hope each of you will think about joining Todd and Patty tomorrow morning for prayer. Early in the morning, there is a power to prayer. And our Savior is ready and able to answer those prayers of a contrite heart. Satan was exulting that he had succeeded in debasing the image of God in humanity. Then Jesus came to restore in man the image of his maker. None but Christ can fashion anew the character that has been ruined by sin. He came to expel the demons that had controlled the will. He came to lift us up from the dust, to reshape the marred character after the pattern of his divine character, and to make it beautiful with his own glory, desire of ages. In a quote from an evangelical pastor I like, it's a miracle of God to take an unholy sinner and make them holy. That is indeed a miracle. But then it's another miracle to take that holy saint and put them into an unholy world and keep them holy. We can't do this in and of ourselves. We cooperate and we let him do it. The Lord expects his servants to excel the lovers of the world in life and character. 
that they may do this, he has placed at their command unlimited resources. The Christian is a spectacle unto the world, to angels, and to men. He is to realize that he must make, he must, uh, (laughs) it's hard switching slides. He must realize that he must make use of every entrusted power to overcome the world, the flesh, the devil, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace has been abundantly provided that he may not fail nor be discouraged, but he may be complete in Christ, accepted in the beloved. And so God expects us to excel those that are out in the world excelling. God is going to have a people. Here's the rest of the quote we started with. As the will of God cooperates with the will of man, of God, as the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. That is the potential that God is wanting to bestow on the right arm gospel message, the health evangelism work. There is omnipotent power for physicians and dentists and healthcare workers to carry the opening wedge of the gospel to the world around us. And there is omnipotent power to take the whole three angels' messages to the world in which we live. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are enablings. And so as we close, Jude 24. Unto him that is able to guard you from stumbling and to set you before the presence of his glory without blemish in exceeding joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time and now and forever. Amen. Father in heaven, tonight we are challenged to hear your voice the voice that is calling us to come apart in rest. The voice that is calling us to take this mind upon us that was also in Christ Jesus. The one who was rich, but for our sakes became poor. Father, it is indeed an awesome calling that you call us to, an awesome responsibility. But you have given us great privileges. May we not squander them. May we use everything we have for you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org